I'm Bill Meeks, and today I'm talking with Aviva from Aviva and the Flying Penguins. Now, I've known Aviva since around 2012 when I produced a video for the song Change by her band Aviva and the Flying Penguins. You know, this is back when I was living in Atlanta. Now, Aviva is just oozing with life and passion and energy and fun, and musically, she writes really good hooks. What we're going to be talking about today, though, is her work affecting change in her current state of Georgia, specifically in the hemp and cannabis spaces. Aviva's song Cannabis Car is part protest song, part groovy jam that teaches the listener about the history of hemp in our country and all the ways it can help the environment today. She didn't stop at just writing the song, though. She's become a familiar face to Georgia lawmakers because she spent countless hours arguing for legal hemp. Oh, and you guys are going to love this. Aviva even took some time out to play a couple songs for us while she was jumping up and down on her trampoline, which is a trick that I've not learned. But apparently she's really good at it. All right, this is going to be a great conversation. If you haven't used cannabis, feel free to kick back and uh, enjoy it while we talk. I made this for you. Take a listen. Go ahead and give me like a testing one, two, three. Okay. Darling night, holy night, son of God, love your light, radiant beam from thy holy face, with the dawn of That was way better than most people's testing, one, two, three. Most people just go one, two, three, one, two, three, testing, testing. Am I done yet? <laughs> I'm going to give you some dynamics. Aviva, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to talk to you. It is my honor. How are you doing? It is my honor, Aviva, and I'm doing great. You know why? Because I'm talking to you. Uh, you, you are just such a, such a bright light of joy in the universe, and it, it's, it's just a pleasure to be speaking with you right now. Thank you. I try. <laughs> One way you try to sort of light up the universe is with your music. So uh, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into, you know, songwriting and performance as far as music. Well, one of my earliest memories of writing a song, I was sitting in the back seat of like the station wagon. I don't know. Like I grew up in the 80s, so station wagons were really popular back then. With the wood paneling, right? There was that. We had a Volvo. So we had an orange Volvo. We were, like, very unique. And so we sat, like, there are four of us siblings. And um, I was sitting in the back back with one of my brothers. And so we faced backwards, you know, when we're driving because that's how it was set up. Like, the seats would pop up and they'd be facing backwards. And so I remember we were, like, driving to, like, a dude ranch. And so we were passing farms. And it was one of my, like, like, getting out of the city and seeing farmland was one of the my favorite things to do as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I just started freestyling. I remember like, I was like, Oh my God, what was that? That was so cool. Like I was just like, and there is a chicken in the house and it's red in the barn. And like, 
is it chasing a mouse? You know, like, I don't know what I did, but I was rhyming. <laughs> and it just felt so amazing. It was like the best high. <laughs> a lot better than what me and my siblings used to get up to on car trips, which was basically eat really bad McDonald's food and fight with each other. So. Oh, yeah. I wonder if one was related to the other. <laughs> I would imagine there's probably a pretty close relation there for sure. Yeah, we did a lot of food growing up. I was more of a Burger King fanatic, but every, I think most of the my siblings liked McDonald's better. For me, I always preferred Taco Bell over all of them, but it, it's really bad food. It's really bad Mexican food too. And so yeah, I try to go <laughs> slightly better these days, you know, get off of that 89 cent menu. Yeah. I don't even know if Taco Bell existed when I was a kid, but like, I remember in high school, I started getting into it. <laughs> we all had our weird experimental Taco Bell years, you know. We certainly did. So, so you know, you started uh, freestyling in the back of the car. Uh, when's the first time you started uh, thinking, you know, maybe I could pick up an instrument. Maybe I could actually, you know, plan out a song to sing. Well, I was pretty much forced to take piano lessons since I was about eight years old. Mm -hmm. Even before then, I was tinkering around on our piano. I was lucky enough to grow up with a piano. I don't even have one now. If I did, I think it would add more joy to my life. But yeah, I would just tinker around on the piano and write songs. And then I started to take, you know, actual piano lessons. But I was also encouraged we had a really good music program in my elementary school, and I was in, you know, I was really into, like, writing things out as a child on manuscript paper. Mm -hmm. And so, like, there was a contest, and I entered the contest with a little song I wrote called Purple Blue, and I wrote it all out on manuscript paper, and I won. And I won from my school, and then I went on to the county, and then I went on to the nationals. And I, like, won this award. And so I had to perform this little song I wrote in front of, like, thousands of people. Oh, wow. Do you remember the song? I remember, like, the melody is, like, I, I didn't really submit it with words. But in my mind, I had the words, like, purple, blue, purple, blue, purple, blue's the same. I don't know. It was just kind of like a classical-sounding little piece that I, you know, wrote. I was just very, very anxious. I had a lot of performance anxiety growing up. I still have a little bit, you know, performing in front of that many people. Kind of a shock. What was that first performance like for you? I feel like it was just something I had to do. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm amazing. Like, I'm this amazing little prodigy. I was just felt like, oh, this is just my job. Like, I have to get through this. And I just have to perform for the people. <laughs> you felt natural there. Felt like a politician. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've, it felt natural back then. I, it does now. Like, it just, it literally feels like I'm just like a fish out of water in a way when I return to the stage and I'm swimming and I'm like, oh, this feels so good. What is your favorite moment about going on stage? Is it is it like the anticipation of beforehand? Is it while you're performing? Is it when you're done and you're like, okay, I did a good job? Like, where where's your favorite moment there? And I apologize for zigging in the background. I do really like the preparation right before I go on. I usually like meditate or my band. We usually do qigong. Like that is an amazing moment. And then it's it's so quiet and peaceful. You know, and, I, and there are a lot of those moments on stage, too, where it's like, 
people are listening, depending on where you are, sometimes it can literally feel like traumatic because everyone's talking so loud, you know, in the audience. But, but when you're on stage and people are listening, it's just such this moment of quiet and peace and we're all connected and we're all gathered together. We're all experiencing the same vibration together and I get to facilitate that. You know, it really feels like an honor, like a blessing. I got a question. How you gonna change the world? Are you gonna be the change? Or are you gonna wait for change to rearrange you? How you gonna change the world? Are you gonna be the change? Or are you gonna wait for change to rearrange you? How you gonna change the world? Are you gonna be the change? Or are you gonna wait for change to rearrange you? How you gonna change the world? Are you gonna be the change? In your adult life, when did you decide, okay, I want to start doing this more than just as like a little bit of a hobby and start pursuing, you know, paid gigs and things like that? That's a really good question because it is a really, really hard step to take, you know, with our conditioning. Mm -hmm. Like when I was in college, I pretty much stopped writing music. I just, you know, rationally thought that I could never make it you know, financially, kind of right about that so far, but anyway, <laughs> um, I just, you know, was never really encouraged to do it like that. It was like realistic for me. I mean, by some people, you know, and by my own heart, I knew it was a part of me that I couldn't neglect. So basically what happened is as, um, as I got older, you know, I started discovering the healing arts. Mm-hmm. I had become vegan at the time, and I was, like, meditating a lot. And what happened was, is, you know, I was getting in touch with, like, the racism that exists in this world on, like, a, a big level. I don't know, like, growing up in New York, like, there was definitely a lot of racism, but, like, I never felt it. Like, in my school, like, we were all just always together, like, all my friends, we were all multicultural and I'm Jewish and so I'm not exactly white white myself you know I've definitely felt like I've experienced a lot of anti-semitism so I feel like I'm somewhat of a minority in a way not exactly but when I came to the south to Atlanta like the racism was like dang so prevalent still is you know oh yeah it's a whole different level so I got in touch with real life more. I think when I moved down to Georgia, you know, of course, after college, you know, you really start to deal with the real world and what you want to do. And I just kind of rebelled after college. I was like, I really loved my studies. I studied child development. And I just felt like, you know, I really wanted to learn more about, you know, how to teach children, which I do now as a music teacher and a drama coach. But I just felt like I was also in touch more so with the suppression of the roots, the suppression of the minorities, the suppression of indigenous people. And so I was really into studying indigenous culture more. And I went out to a powwow and I saw a woman perform an indigenous blessing, a Native American prayer. Mm -hmm. And I just like practically fell to my knees crying with how beautiful it was and how like 
that could reach me more than any of the pop music I was experiencing. And I was the only person in the audience at, at some point listening to her and just, you know, awestruck by her. And I got, you know, all of her, you know, music. I bought this roots kind of music that really, really moved me. And so that night I actually went home and I wrote a song and I hadn't written music in years. And I wrote a song uh, for her called Home because I felt like her energy brought me home to my spirit, my femininity, my ethnicity, which I, you know, I realized, you know, through my opening up and healing that there was so much mind control programming that existed in our society that was suppressing my femininity, that was suppressing my spirituality, that was suppressing my roots, my culture, because everything was just like mainstreamed. And I was taught that I wasn't good enough if I wasn't like this certain image. And so when I released that, it was like my gift of songwriting came back to me because my songwriting does not come from someone else approving of me. It comes from my full expression of who I am. And so, you know, releasing the needs to serve society, like just for me to make money and just that greed, like once I released that, I realized that I have to share these gifts with the world somehow. I'm going to figure it out, you know. With what we're here to talk about today with Cannabis Car, you're definitely putting those uh, words you just expressed to me into action. Um, do you think maybe you could play us Cannabis Car and then we can talk a little bit about it? Sure. And um, just to tell your listeners, I am jumping on my trampoline because we kind of squeezed this in today during a workout, which I have to do, you know. So it might sound a little bit interesting as I'm jumping on this trampoline, talking and singing. But here we go. 15% more bouncy. <laughs> so I'm going to change the words to this song. When I wrote this song, uh, hemp was illegal. And it just got legalized with the farm bill. So now I'm going to change the words a little bit. Don't you want a car that runs on canvas? Don't you want a car that runs on canvas? Don't you want... A car that runs on cannabis. Don't you want a car that runs? You got a nice life. You got a nice wife. You're working hard for your money. You gotta save to survive. But the gas prices never cease to rise. Don't you want a car that runs on cannabis? Don't you want a car that runs on cannabis? Don't you want a car that runs on cannabis? Don't you want a car? 
Fantastic, Aviva. Fantastic. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but you have a little bit of a talent for music. Just a, just a smidge. <laughs> oh, you're so nice. Thank you. You know, if, if you listen carefully to the lyrics, you can probably get an inkling of the inspiration and where this song came from and everything. But for our listeners who are digging too much on that awesome, awesome music, uh, why, don't, why don't you go ahead and explain... Uh, it, where the inspiration for the song came from and what, what the, kind of the purpose of the song is. Well, I was, you know, helping out a farmer and a farmer was helping me out and I was like on the farm picking blueberries and tomatoes and tenting out there and uh, the farmer like educated me and he was like, did you know that hemp was once required to be grown by farmers and that like it has all these other things that it does, like it's not just smoking? Because he was like, smoking and I wasn't into it and he was like well did you know this other aspect of the plant you should really know about it since you don't since you're not into it or whatever so I like basically started googling it and I found out that Henry Ford created a car 
that not only ran on cannabis fuel from his farm in Dearborn, Michigan, but it also was made with like this flax cannabis, you know, hemp fiber body, which was stronger than steel, you know, and he was like hitting the car with his sledgehammer and it wasn't denting. And at that point, like a light just went off, you know, like, holy cow, why the heck? You know, I was one of those kids reading my sassy magazine, crying when they talked about Exxon, you know, and the big oil spill and the Mm -hmm. pictures of the Pelicans Mm -hmm. with oil all over them. And like, I'm like crying, like, oh my God, how could this be happening to our beautiful birds and creatures? And so when I found out that you can actually like use hemp to make fuel and other plants, you know, like the diesel, man, I was so pissed. I was like, why are we using oil? It's killing our creatures. It's expensive. It's monopoly you know yeah and especially what you were saying about the fact that he used he was using hemp for like the body of the car too because i mean cars are basically just a big pile of toxic materials more or less and it's like you know we have this all-natural alternative i know it's ridiculous it's like we could do so much better so i was just like i have to sing this song i have to record it i have to teach everyone you know because like cannabis needs to be legal so the like the purpose of my song was to just legalize cannabis altogether. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't even part of just the hemp movement. Like, I just saw it as one plant back then, you know? Yeah. And then there was, like, these groups that I got in touch with that were advocating to, well, you could still just legalize hemp if you don't like the smoking aspect of it because we can make it without THC, you know, like, less than the amount of THC that would make you high. So then I started lobbying for that. But, you know, I feel like there's a danger in that because I think it all needs to be legal. It definitely feels like, you know, that might be a good way to get a, get in there in the side door. But at the same time, there's really no good reason for any of it to be legal, you know? It's caused a lot of pain, a lot, a lot of pain in this world, a lot of imbalance. It actually definitely has its roots in racism. When you look at most of the people in jail, it's for cannabis mm-hmm. and it's from you know, minority communities, you know, because they don't seem to care, you know, when white people are are smoking, you know. Yeah. There definitely is a crazy division as far as the population in our prison systems. I, I think part of the reason it was uh, made illegal was, was for very racist reasons like that, because they wanted a good excuse to jail uh, Mexican people and African-American people. Absolutely. I mean, they even invented the name marijuana, There's a couple of stories. One of them says, you know, we just chose two Mexican names, Mary and Juan, and we called it marijuana because at the time the American Medical Association, like, didn't even know that they were illegalizing marijuana, like, cannabis medicine because they were just thought they were illegalizing this drug called marijuana. Mm -hmm. And they were pretty pissed that, you know, all of a sudden all this medicine that they were selling was now illegal. They couldn't get hold of it anymore until, you know, recent years. Believe in your cause. Flowers can have flaws. Flaws can have flaws. Look in your heart. Believe in your cause. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, that you don't you don't smoke marijuana, or, or you didn't. Um, is there any particular reason for that? Just not your sort of scene. But it, it is really cool that even if you don't, that you know, you're very supportive of it. I am. I'm a highly, highly, like, sensitive, like, high-vibration person. And so when I tried it a couple of times, I 
practically hallucinated, you know? Oh, wow. Completely takes me out of my body. And also, back then, I felt like I had more of a dissociative sort of disorder, which I don't anymore. I've really worked through it to ground myself. Mm -hmm. But, like, being kind of a spacey, not necessarily spacey, but someone who's able to kind of, like, leave my body in painful situations, you know? Yeah. You know, it is a dissociative. Like, it, it helps you do that. Also, like, I already kind of somehow developed how to do that by myself. Like, people think I'm high a lot of the time, and I'm not, you know, because I just somehow, like, I can naturally get there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you heard this story, you wrote this song, and since then, one, you've been playing the song out a lot. I I know when we first connected over, because I I think I was looking for a musician for a freelance video or something, and it was Cannabis Car, it was the video I saw. Uh, You know, you've played it out a ton, Uh, you've done a video for it, Uh, you've done all this stuff for it, but you've actually taken the message of the song and you've tried to put it into real world action. Do you want to tell people a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I basically started putting on events to educate people because just talking to your neighbor isn't enough. You know, I founded the Georgia Hemp Economic Revival Organization about seven years ago, and we've been putting on it yearly, at at least these yearly events where we have music and speakers and samples of hemp soap, you know, hemp paper, just to educate everyone because the knowledge is not taught in school. You know, it's actually ignored. So I just felt like, well, I got to fill this space. You know, when I I went to San Francisco once, I went to an artist activism event, which is a little bit, I think, even more prevalent there, you know, on the West Coast than here. Oh, yeah, especially in San Francisco. Yeah, so I got this shirt. I went to an event that Julia Butterfly was at, you know, with her tree activism. I got this shirt, um, and on it it said, you know, the, the job of a revolutionary is to make the revolution irresistible. And so I've always strived to just, like, make fun events. I've never been one that's really into angry protests. Mm -hmm. Like, give us this, give us that. Like, I'm just like, well, don't we, aren't we all the same person? I mean, you might be sitting there making the laws, but you're working for me, you know, so why can't I relate to you in a fun, heartfelt way? Like, don't you want a car that runs on cannabis? Who wouldn't? Instead of like, how dare you, you know, like, let's, like, let me, let me speak to your heart. Let me show you our joy, our love, connecting together, like peace in the world, like that is important. You know, it's just a completely different paradigm than the American dream in a way. I love that idea of positive protest too, because, you know, so often, you know, when you hear hear the words protest or a rally, it's accompanied with, and there was violence but from the cops or the protesters or both, or there was anger and angry protest signs and it's 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 so nice to hear about you know someone who is focusing on trying to make it a positive event you know yeah i mean and talk about anxiety like i already don't like crowds you know mm-hmm. and then it's like an angry crowd it's like <laughs> dang like get me back to a farmhouse like i want to hide under the hay like i would so much rather like us all do like a circle dance together and you know you know pass the passes a pipe, you know, whatever we need to do to find harmony together. I mean, it just feels so good. And I think people are so trapped in the illusion of greed and, you know, indulgence and, you know, lots of money and material possessions being this thing that feels good. And I mean, each for each, each for your own, but I, I just kind of feel like underneath, like 
we all do have the same needs for love. And I think it's harder to feel any love in the world when there's huge imbalances of people who are deprived of maybe something that you have a lot of. And I don't think something feels right in you. Like, I think you want to share when you have that much. Like, I think it's an illusion to think that just money is making you happy, you know? Yeah. And I also think uh, even if you've been wronged by somebody or you feel you've been wronged by somebody, I, I don't think, you know, necessarily coming at it in a violent negative way will do anything productive for you. You know, I think coming at someone in a joyful way, like you're talking about, there's a lot better chance that they're not going to have those walls up and you're actually going to be able to have a conversation and possibly get something done, you know? Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think that the purpose it serves is anger relief and being someone who's done a lot of primal therapy and breath work, like I have a way to channel my anger so that it's out of me, because I do believe the theory that every charge needs a discharge, mm -hmm. which is why when you're like charged with this feeling of suppression, then your immediate reaction could be to feel angry back towards the person because you're just discharging the charge. It's like a natural reflex. You throw something at me, I throw it back. But what I do is I take those charge and I'll like punch pillows and I'll scream in my car and I'll get it all out so that... I'm not as triggered if I feel wronged by someone because I I got so much of that, you know, electrical charge off of me already. So I can be grounding. I can be a grounding source. And you find some sort of like neutral way to sort of displace it so it's not affecting you in your day to day. Yeah, and work on shields, you know, because there's definitely worlds we don't see. Like when you're out in the crowd, like people throw these charges at you, like these little side glances, like the evil eye, like just like little, you know, condescending comments, criticism, and you can have a shield to that or you can get hit by it. It's like any other physical attack. Like we are, we have all these psychic attacks that we deal with on the daily and, you know, they need just as much healing as physical wounds. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And hemp is a power plant To get, to get back to Cannabis Car a little bit, you know, you wrote the song, you performed it out everywhere, and then you decided you wanted to take it uh, to the people making the laws and, and make your presence known there and get your message across there. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how that all came about? So it was my drummer's idea, you know, I was just focused on music and getting gigs and he was like, well, I heard this on the radio, you know, maybe you should take this Cannabis Car thing a step further and you know, there's this group called Hemp History Week that are lobbying to legalize hemp and they're separating it from cannabis. Like, it's not the same thing because there's this new definition that they're pushing, which is like seven years ago, which is 0.3% THC defining what hemp is. Mm -hmm. You know, and so finally in 2014, this company like called VoteHemp.com and the Hemp Industries Association and Hemp History Week, they were all working together to put on these educational grassroots events who I was signing up with and they were successful. 
with all these lobbying efforts to finally get the 2014 Farm Bill to um, allow hemp for research, at least. They had these national events, and after that first year, I collected all these petitions. They sent a sample petition, you know, and I uh, got a whole bunch of signatures for our senators here, and when they sent the address, it was the wrong address. It was to Seattle, Washington, instead of Washington, D.C., so I called them up. I called the main lobbyist for Vote Hemp, Ben Droz, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, this isn't the right address, and he's like, you're right, but you know what? Instead of me giving your address, I think you should come deliver it to your senators in D.C. yourself, and I'll help guide you through the process, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I organized an East Coast tour with my band so that we can go through D.C., and do this, you know, and I, and I put this all on YouTube, like all my crazy little vlogs about this. I called it the, um, clarifying confusion tour. <laughs> so there you have it. Sometimes people need a little push to do what they say they're going to do to get the hemp movement moving. Like sometimes they need a silly girl in a penguin hat to come all the way to DC from Atlanta and say, did you do this? And they say, Oh my God, I was just thinking about that. It's just such a coincidence that you just happened to come here all the way from Georgia wearing a silly penguin hat, making me smile because now you can help me connect with Nutiva and help convince Congressman Rob Woodall that yes, indeed, Nutiva wants to buy locally grown hemp and not ship it in. And you said you were going a lot to the the state legislature there too, right? You were going up there to to uh, lobby for for changes. Oh yeah. So once we got back in Georgia after that tour, there's other organizations here that are very active. Particularly at the time, James Bell with Georgia Care was one of the folks that was leading the industrial hemp efforts. And so with the help from him, I learned about some local bills. I got to have the for one of the first bills was HB 704 several years ago that John P. Zold sponsored. When I started to get into it, um, in Georgia, it's like a two-year period that you go through these bills. And so HB 465 was introduced. And for two years, it just kind of like was sitting duck. Like nothing was happening with that. Colleen Kehe from the HIA was nice enough to review the bill and give advice. And we were working through it, but there's all this politics I didn't know about, like, you know, monopolies, like paying for lobbyists, like to work out deals. Like, I don't know. I'm just a person going in there and being like, hey, I think this should happen. You know, I don't have anything to offer you. I don't have a business. I don't have, you know, whatever. Yeah, you're walking into like this 12th dimensional chess game of politics when you're just like, hey, I I just want hemp to be legal. Yeah, I'm like, hey, like, can we stop polluting the earth? (laughs) Yeah, so HB465, like, just going down there, meeting John P's old secretaries. I made so many friends and I learned so much about what people knew and didn't know and were open to learning and not receptive to learning. And so, like, I just tried to learn the system as much as possible. Like, why wasn't HB 465 read? I got a whole bunch of signatures for David Ralston, the Speaker of the House. When I went in there with Scribbles, my puppet son, who, you know, I told him, look, I'm teaching children about hemp. That's how amazing it is. That's how much it doesn't have a stigma. And, like, me and Scribbles went in there, you know, (laughs) to talk to the legislator. It's nice to have someone with me, right? Even if it's an imaginary puppet son. Well, imaginary puppet sons are real, too. 
They are. They're definitely real in some dimensions. Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-Y, songwriting, A-A-T-F-P. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sunday Songwriting number 151. Today, we've got our old friend Scribbles. Hi! So happy to see you. So, yeah. So, we went in there. We gave David Ralston all those signatures, and, and his secretary was still like, look, there's no way he could even demands that this bill gets voted on unless John P. Dole himself pushes it, and I don't know why he's not pushing it, and he wasn't returning my phone calls. So I did the best I could, and then towards the end of it, I, I talked to all the co-sponsors, Jimmy Pruitt, Tom McCall, or a couple of the HB 465 co-sponsors, and I was like, what is going on, you know? And they they were just, they're always so nice to me. And so at the end of the session, Tom was like, look, John P. Dole's not moving this bill or it's not moving. I just need to kind of like, you know, take the reins. So he said that, so he wrote HR 1473, got it pushed through immediately. And that was basically to do a research committee for hemp and to write a bill together. So that research committee like quickly passed. So, you know, all hope wasn't gone and they had some study sessions, which unfortunately I never made any of those study sessions. I, I was really happy to see that it, it did quickly get pushed through the votes, and I went to the Ag um, Committee hearings for the Senate and the House when it was being heard, and I, you know, met with as many of the Ag Committee senators and House, you know, members as possible so that I could teach them about hemp and you know, I, I learned the process, like how like it goes through committees and on all this stuff and um, it's a lot to learn. I just basically individually taught them all as much about hemp as I could. And some of them were like, why weren't you at any of these, <laughs> any of these meetings? I'm like, I'm sorry. Like doing what I can, man. But, um, we, we were not very happy with the bill. Like it's really, really sucked. It was really, really restrictive. And I just kept asking like, why can't you just stay in the bill? It's legal and leave it up to the ag department to make the rules. Because now what happened was they just made this crazy bill. It passed. Yes. But now the Ag Committee, when I call them, they're like, well, we can't do anything about the program because the legislation says all these restrictions and the people aren't happy with it. But what's probably going to happen when the session opens, you know, January 2020, is we're going to reopen the bill and make some changes. I was like, okay, a little bit slow, a little bit annoying, but it's in my lifetime. So So you got to take what you can get. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's basically like a movie, you know? Yeah. It's like, like all this stuff that I'm doing, I don't know if it's making a difference or not, or if I'm just, you know, part of the drama. I don't know. Well, I I think, I think, you know, the important part is that you're intending on making a difference. And even if it's not the big difference you want to make necessarily right, you know, in the moment, that's what you're trying for. And there's progress being made, you know, so that's great. Thank you. And and I think the important thing here is to remember, like, the whole communication aspect and the community aspect, because, you know, getting to know these legislators, like, there are some issues with them, too, you know, like, there's, I like to look at all the other bills they make and talk to them about it. And, you know, while I'm in there, doing my activism, like, be like, well, not only is hemp amazing, but we've got these coal ash issues here. Uh, we need to hold Georgia Power accountable for polluting our water. Why don't we make a provision to grow hemp to fight or remediate the land, to pull the toxins out of the land? And, you know, just to get to teach these legislators what that means, I feel like I can at least be a bridge of communication, whether or not I'm 
affecting the laws, like, at least, you know, I'm helping to influence with something, because some of these, you know, it's, it's in the Ag Committee, all these agricultural issues are there, so as an activist, a lot of environmental issues can start with industrial farming being harmful for our health. So just having that relationship and showing up and showing up for what is right, I feel like can influence them to understand even what is right or wrong because that can get colluded with the idea of, well, the right thing to do as a man is to provide for my family, make sure we got the money that we need. And so that is such a strong belief that I feel like unknowingly you can harm the world by using pesticides because you think that that's what's making your farm more lucrative and you're not really looking at all the facts. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And uh, I, I think it's nice that, you know, this whole experience with, you know, cannabis car and everything, it's taught you sort of the grammar and introduced you to people to where as you see other specifically environmental and probably, you know, other societal issues like this, that you can maybe go and have a voice uh, for, you know, the average person where every company, every big industrial agricultural company probably has 40 people up there all the time. And uh, so it's, it's nice that, you know, you've learned this process so you can go up there and speak for the rest of us. Aww. I really quite like it. Yeah. It's like a lot, you know. But I feel like it's an opportunity, like, since there's a ban on pesticides with hemp, it is an opportunity, you know, along with all the other moral issues that the prohibition has brought up. Like, it really is an opportunity to completely reassess, like, how we're going about our agroeconomics right now. Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, with Willie Nelson and Farm Aid, like, like it, it was almost like the prohibition of hemp was, like, the start of real farming issues, you know, like farmers were supposed to be able to make money providing all these industrial materials, whereas once it was prohibited, like everything became monopolized by the petroleum companies, like with the plastics and the paints, like they used to be made from products from farmers. So it like literally started a lot of homelessness within the farmers who, you know, then had to go to the cities try to get work and we're just living on the street because their farm was no longer making money in these ways after they invested everything they had perhaps in that you know oh wow yeah and not to mention you know the environmental impact the health impact on people from having all these products you know around stuff that we consume yeah bad juju all the way around yeah providing food for people and sustenance is the foundation to our life, and so we need to look at that and be like, are we willing to compromise and eat just, you know, fast food and chemicals that are harming us over time, or are we really going to get back to our roots and honor our farmers? Because these chemically processed foods are there, it seems like, because the farmers aren't able to provide us with more stuff on a massive scale, and it's because like, you got to look at the cost of farming and, and the cost of food basically not giving farmers a, a livable wage. And that's, you know, what Willie Nelson talks about with Farm Aid and having these concerts to give back to the farmers. And 
you know, with the whole movement of GMOs and all that stuff, like, there's a lot of governmental, you know, farmer subsidies that are given to support the food that's bad for us and not enough. You know, there needs to be subsidies on hemp, you know? Mm. And not subsidies on ingredients for Taco Bell and Burger King and McDonald's. Yeah, I mean, basically, the, the, the companies that have the money to go in there and lobby for the subsidies and lobby for what they need, they're the ones that are, are going to get it, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is just an opportunity. Like, the imbalance with the cannabis industry is, like, so symbolic of an imbalance that we have the opportunity right now if we're, you know, really mindful enough to stay focused on and realize that just legalizing cannabis is not going to solve all our problems economically and otherwise. Like, we really have to understand all of our choices right now and how it affects our environment and relationships and, and health. Well, Aviva, I'm so glad that we have someone like you out there, you know, fighting the good fight, uh, not only spreading her message and positivity with her art, but also with her words and her actions. I I find it completely commendable. And I I really just like you as a person, too. It's always great to talk to you, for sure. You, too. And I definitely don't have all the answers. And I think just inspiring, actually searching for answers is a huge step. Like a lot of people just they're just going with the flow, you know? They're just like, well, if it was bad, someone would do something about it, so why do I have to do anything about it? And for some reason, I just knew at a very young age that if I don't do something about it, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. I think we actually all are in that same place. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of, like, how are we going to take action in our own lives? I, I think that's something because uh, we both grew up in the 80s and I, I think that's something of our generation too where that was kind of ingrained into us by certain aspects of the media that we do have to act on, on these things because it, it's not getting much better and those adults in your life, they're probably not doing much about it. So kids are, have the power. It was kind of like that whole you know, Nickelodeon kid empowerment vibe. You know, we were both raised on that, the big help, all that kind of stuff. So it's great to see someone decades later, you know, carrying that torch on. Yeah, we might need to make our own children's show. I, I would love to make a children's show someday. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. So Aviva, uh, you want to go ahead and uh, close us out here with one more song? I can do that. Awesome. And if I can do a shameless plug, if anyone wants to hear any of my songs, you know, can I give them uh, a place to hear it? Oh, yes. Uh, give them as big of a plug as you want. You've earned it. <laughs> well, my YouTube channel has over 500 videos of all kinds of things. Like I said, like some of the activism and, and whatnot, but also a lot of music. I even, Sunday songwriting? I think I even have a hemp song play- playlist. They can go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Aviva Sings Out, A-V-I-V-A things, S-I-N-G-S, out, O-U-T. And I recently did um, write a children's version of Cannabis Car. Even though children already love that song, I just wrote a song called Grassoline. Mm-hmm. And so that and a bunch of other videos I've marked as made for children so that, you know, if you have a family, you know which, fam- which videos you can watch with your children. Nice. You can also check out my band camp where I actually have two full CDs of hemp songs. One of them is called Raw Hemp Jelly, 
and one of them is called Americanibus. So my band camp is Aviva and the Flying Penguins. .bandcamp.com. And uh, people can check you out at just Aviva and the Flying Penguins.com too, right? Yep. And AvivaMusic.com. Awesome. <laughs> I've been working on getting that all together. You got it all locked down. But basically, <laughs> I encourage you all to check out my song Prohibition PTSD because I think that's a really healing video for people because I think we all do have, I know some people prefer to call it PTS, like just post traumatic stress because it's not necessarily a disorder. You're still functioning in life but you do have these syndromes of, of post-trauma. And so I just made a fun video about it called Prohibition PTSD. And also it was at a Hemp Industries Association conference, which is kind of fun to see, like, all the different people involved. And, like, I got them all to have, like, little cameos in the video. So it's kind of like my own little world of superstars. You know how, like, superstars give each other cameos in their music videos, you know, like Taylor Swift might feature Katy Perry and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah. Like, what I do with my little Sunday songwritings is I feature all these like activist superheroes that have done just amazing things for our movement, you know? Nice. Very nice. <laughs> all right. So this song is called My Sacred Agreement. And I do try to say it every day because I believe that when we make statements like this, that we literally change our world with our massive agreements together. Um, I think that's an important thing to just kind of look into because I think when we're all watching the same movies and listening to the same songs, we're all getting on this vibration. So it's you got to be careful. Like the vibration you are creating with what you consume. Like just like when you eat celery, you're creating new cells in your body with that celery. If you eat sugar, you're also creating cells in your body which can be damaging. It's like if you create garbage, you should throw it out. It's not necessarily good for the body. So it's the same thing when you listen to watch TV, listen to songs. So that's kind of what this is about. This is about consciously creating something through singing a song together. Punishment and withholding of information. 
communications and camaraderie. My healthy, prosperous life deserves honor and devotion, and I honor my life. And it is my choice to use cannabis if it can contribute to and sustain this. I release any and all shame and fear if it's connected to this belief. very nice i i love this it's like my own little personal concert it's so great (laughs) thanks for listening to the show if you have your own big idea you've made a reality we want to hear about it let us know by emailing i made this at doanything.media we'd love to share your project or maybe even talk to you about it you can follow the show at I Made This Show, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Again, that's at I Made This Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or on our website, I Made This. Media. Again, that's I Made This. Media. And if you do subscribe, make sure you leave a review so we can shout you out on the show. I'm Bill Meeks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>